We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. E. Welcome to the Resilient Schools podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Kathleen Beachboard on the program. She's an award-winning educator, a best-selling author, and leading innovative expert on raising psychological hope in schools. Her Building Hope framework has improved resilience, well-being, and achievement in thousands of schools across the country. As a sought-after speaker on well-being and retention, she provides practices, tools, and strategies for parents, educators, and school leaders to increase hope so students and staff can thrive. And if you remember, the very first episode of this podcast, we interviewed Melissa Saden, and she talked about how powerful hope is. And so when I heard uh, Kathleen at the AMLE conference earlier this year or last year, whenever you're listening to it, she uh, she made me think definitely got to have her on the podcast. So Kathleen, welcome to Resilient Schools. Happy to have you here. Thanks, Jethro. I'm excited to be here and talk about my favorite thing, hope. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so we uh, let's let's start by defining hope and uh it, Melissa defined it earlier in the seat in the episodes, but how how do you define hope so that people understand what that is? So the the first thing is that hope it's not this is not social emotional learning. This is a positive cognitive process that everybody has. The fact that you're alive and listening to this podcast right now, you have hope. But it's the amount of hope you have that ultimately determines your success, your academic achievement and your academic attainment according to research. So what hope is is it's a mix of your goals. That's the the goals that you set for yourself. Like every day when you wake up, you set goals. Pathways, that's your ability to form a path to your goals. And agency, that's your willpower or motivation to achieve your goals. So goals, pathways, and agency make the triangle of hope that we all have inside of us. So you say we all have it inside of us, but do people have different levels of hope? 
Yeah, so they do. And it's determined by a lot of things. So um, when I adopted my five children, I have seven now altogether, as you you know, <laughs> Jethro, but for the audience at home, um, when I adopted my five kids out of a case of extreme abuse and neglect, they came to me with, you know, living in a life where they couldn't trust their environment. They couldn't trust their parents because of physical abuse, drug abuse, sexual abuse. And so ultimately they had low hope. I even measured their hope because it's measurable. And that low hope um, impacted the type of goals they set. So for example, you Jethro, you're a high hope person because I measured your hope at my session. You set goals in your day to do great things and accomplish things for your future. But people who are low in hope set goals to avoid things like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble. So I'll comply with this and do this right now. Or I, I'm just going to try to get through the day. I'm not really going to try to pass anything. I just need to get through the day. And because of that, it impacts their future. And so hope impacts a whole bunch of things. And with my kids who are low in hope, the good news is unlike math or reading where you have an intervention, it is completely malleable within 90 minutes. And that's 90 amazing. minutes, 90 <laughs> minutes, according to research. That's so, pretty crazy. Now, it, hold on just a second. I want to talk yeah. more about this, but you said something that just really struck me in a way that it hasn't struck me before but so many people uh especially like on the radio or in social media they're talking about just surviving right and like making it to the weekend like oh i hate mondays and thank heavens it's friday like that kind of stuff that has always bothered me and for a long time i didn't understand what it was and what i saw was this Eventually, I learned that it was this lack of hope that the yes. best I can get is what happens this weekend. And um, and I I heard this this young woman the other day say some people are going to peak in high school, and that's the highest that they ever get. And I thought I I would never even for a second have imagined that I could have peaked in high school or that could have been the best that I was at, and yet. Some people feel like that is the case. And so that that's that's sad and a very first world problem. But you're talking about also your kids who were in a very difficult situation and how they in just 90 minutes can improve their hope. How do, how do you even do that in such a short amount of time when it seems like some of that is so ingrained in you? Well, you know, we're a product of our environment and how we're raised. And sometimes it's just knowing that there's a different way to go about or kind of think about things. So your hope level is similar to your friends. So you hang out with people with similar incomes, similar hope levels. And so one of the ways that you can kind of I guess, shake that up really quickly is to introduce someone who's at a different level. And when you know there's more out there, there's a higher positive cognitive process. There's more well-being for you, not just where you are, where you're surviving. You can be thriving. That's the first thing. You have to know it exists. It's kind of like saying Disneyland exists. To someone who's never been there, you describe it, they go, what? No. But once they see it, and they see pictures of it, or they see a person modeling that, it's very easy to transfer hope. So psychological hope is transferable. You put a high hope person with a low hope person, and I do this in my class. It's one of the quickest ways to raise hope in a classroom. 
for you viewers at home, it's it's really important to know if you measure the hope of people and you can do it for free on Thrively because my work's on there, you can measure their hope. Once you know their hope, if you don't want to do anything else and you just put a high hope kid next to a low hope kid, that high hope kid is not going to be impacted by the low hope kid. What's going to happen is the low hope kid is going to be impacted by the high hope kid because they're showing them something they didn't know existed. And that's, that's the cool thing is you, you might have been raised in an environment where it hasn't been traumatic, where you just have been in a low hope environment. You, like that's all you have. You don't have a lot of, you know, things around you to reach out to, to set goals to, because everyone's just getting by. And so once you see what it's like to go beyond getting by, it makes you curious and it makes you, you know, start to start in that cognitive process. So Ultimately, the quickest way to measure hope is to measure it and find out where you're lacking. Like if you're lacking in pathways, you need to some practice with divergent thinking. If you're lacking in agency or willpower, you need some tools for self-control because in psychology, we call it self-control, but it's actually your willpower. And that's the cool thing is, is this is not a fixated quantity. It's it, You can strengthen it at any time. And so with anyone who's low in hope, find out what your hope is. That's the first thing. You have to know where you're at. And then once you know it, you can, if you're high in hope, start spreading it because you probably already are, but spread it more intentionally. And for the people low in hope, you're not hopeless. Start working on it like anything. Okay. So the way we assess it is by doing the hope scale uh, inventory at thrively.com slash hope. Is that the right address? Yep. Yep. Okay, th- thrively.com. If you listen to Transformative Principle, you've heard of Thrively before. Joe Erpelding, who's been on the podcast a couple times, he uh, is the some vice president or something there. Anyway, he's he's part of that. Um, thrively.com slash hope. Definitely go go take that for yourself just to see where you're at. And then you can start sharing it with your kids and see where they're at as well. Now, when you when you say if you're low in hope, then start getting better. How how do you get better if you even recognize that you're low in hope? So let's say you take the test and it, it comes up that it says low in hope, low in pathways thinking, or low in both. The, the thing is you need to start with whichever one's your lowest, that's where you actually want to start. And it doesn't mean that you're you're trying to get it all the way up in one day. It you, It's any practice that you haven't done previously will help you boost your hope. So someone who's low in pathways, usually they have one way to solve a problem. And then when that one way doesn't work, it's a catastrophe and it's just game over. So for a person low in hope, a quick way to boost their pathways is to go into a problem that you have with at least five to six solutions, five to six. Yeah. They're called backup plans. And those backup plans can ultimately show you and strengthen your hope because it's kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard. The more darts you throw, the more likely you are to hit it. And that's what high hope people do. If your goal isn't working, we modify it. We change it up a little. And so that's a quick practice that anyone who's low in pathways, instead of just having one solution, come up with some more and try to figure out some things that might get in your way. And for some people, that's a really natural, easy thing to do. And for other people, that's not. And so when you were talking about this at the AMLE conference, that was one of the things that you said that resonated with me, that that some people have 
lots of backup plans and other ways of doing things. And other people just have one thing to try. And when that doesn't work, then they just give up. And that was something that I had never thought about before that and thought maybe, you know, I, I never thought that that was an indicator of hope. I always thought that was just like being resourceful or something. Tell us exactly why that's an indicator of hope. So the reason why it's an indicator of hope is because your hope, it's it's sort of like you raise your positive cognitive process, whether you're going to succeed or not by having more chances to do something. Um, some people might call it luck or just being awesome at something. It's not that it's pre-planning. And a lot of people don't do that naturally. Like you said, it's a hopeful practice and it makes you trust your environment because it puts you in control of a situation. Even if the situation comes out of control and you've planned for that moment of like, oh, this bad thing could happen. So I'm going to plan for it and I'm going to plan around it. It makes you hopeful. It makes you feel like you control the environment and that you're steering the course of your destiny. That piece I think is really interesting because so many of the, this is resilient schools, right? So we're talking about how to deal with trauma in our schools and make our schools resilient. So many kids who have experienced trauma feel like there is no hope for them, feel like there is no control for them either. And just having different ideas of how to approach something gives them hope and gives them control over that situation. I really like that. Even if they're still in a situation where they're not really in control. I like that. Let me, let me change gears uh, just a little bit. And you wrote a book called the school of hope. Tell us about that book and, and what the purpose of that is. So ultimately, if we just work on students, there is, there's a systematic problem with that. Hope is something that, like I said, is transferable. And this is not just a teacher to student approach. It's a whole school approach. It's actually more of a whole community approach. So the School of Hope was written so we can help our students with low hope or the ones who may have trauma because hope actually changes the brain. We hear about trauma changing the brain, but hope changes the brain. As hope increases, the impact of stress and anxiety on your medial orbital frontal cortex, it, it, it decreases that impact of stress and anxiety. So for your students, they won't go into the fight, flight, freeze, flop, and fawn response. That's a lot of Fs. <laughs> but for, for your teachers, they're overwhelmed too, and they're facing more stress and anxiety. So one of the greatest gifts we can give to battle secondary trauma is hope to staff. So this isn't, oh, measure your students' hope. No, it's measure staff, measure students. And if there's weakness, you can improve hope in a culture, and that will have a seismic shift for the students, the staff, and even the community. Because as you become more hopeful, you achieve more, you do more, you become more. And that's what hope does. So the book was written with two parts. The one part is for practical application, where this isn't one more thing. Like the seating chart thing I mentioned earlier, Anybody could do that. And it's not, oh, there are these special lessons. No, this is just a different way of looking at different things you're doing while you're teaching your students and showing them how to do it. 
And for administrators, it's just looking at your culture, what you already have, and seeing different approaches to the regular systems that you're doing all the time and just modifying them to be more hopeful. So you can do a hope audit of your entire culture and figure out those areas where you are hopeful and use your strength for your weaker areas. That's kind of the amazing thing here. That's what the book's about. It's a school of hope. It has parts for admin called compassion for colleagues, and it has part for teachers to students to show them quick ways to help that student hope in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the strategies for improving your hope in your whole school. And so let's start with talking about what principals can do themselves, and we'll talk about teachers and then how we can improve it for students. So let's start with the the top of the school, the principal. What are some things that principals can do to help them have more hope and to start sharing that with others? Well, one of the easiest practices that I would encourage any principal to do, you might've heard of Brene Brown and her work about being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Well, vulnerability and giving people a voice and a say and a choice voice, just like students with staff is really important, but it's more important to make sure problems don't fester because when you let something fester, it just gets worse. So one of the first things that is a vulnerability practice, but it's also a hopeful practice is as staff members come into a staff meeting, give everyone a post-it, have them write down the problem they are having right now. It could be with a student, it could be with a staff, it could be whatever, but keep it and like have some anonymity in it. And so I write down my problem. Oh, I'm having problems, you know, going to use the copier during the day. Great. It's a simple problem. Then this is the amazing thing. This is the biggest thing a principal can do is use the expertise on their staff. Don't bring in a PD person like me or anyone else. You have experts. They have degrees. They have expertise in secretarial work. Your janitors do. And the thing is, because we're stuck in our silos, we don't often get to go out and say, hey, what are you good at? So what you do is everyone writes down a problem and then we do problem speed dating where we become solution oriented as a culture. So I stand in front of you and I say, my problem is blank for 30 seconds. Then you tell me for 30 seconds, a solution to my problem. And then you tell me your problem. I give you a solution. Then we switch. I leave my staff meeting with five solutions to a problem I'm having. What does that do to a culture? It gets every it gets the problems out there. And then this is the best thing. If you have them write the problems on one post-it and the solutions on another, you can collect the problems as an administrator and look for systematic problems that are in your school culture. Like, for example, you might see that one is, oh, I need to use the copier. I really needed to pee. I couldn't go to an IEP meeting. What's the problem? Teachers need flex time. So you might implement like a PTO person coming to sit in the office where I I could call down and utilize them and have that flexible time that I need in a moment of distress. So it's like, that's a very simple practice, but once again, it allows the problems to come to the surface. It allows us to be solution oriented and it utilizes the expertise in the building. And it doesn't matter if you have the right answer for that specific problem. It's about finding multiple solutions and not keeping your problem to yourself so you're festering. Those two things give you uh, pathways power, right? Yep. And they give you goals power, right? Is that the yep. right way to say that? And it, it, it 
boosts your willpower and your social trust in your environment. You want your staff to go to each other with their problems. You have to create a culture that does that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very important. Okay. So that one uh, was seen more geared towards teachers. Uh, Anything for a principal who's alone in their building, doesn't have an assistant is just stressed out. And what, what can they do? So for their own personal hope, the first thing that I would recommend is they take their own hope test. And then I recommend that they plan hopeful practices into their day. A lot of the time, principals have a lot of things, a lot of meetings, but the thing that they don't do is plan time for certain things that will make them feel good and make their culture thrive. For example, a very simple practice. Most administrators let the day get away from them and they they go through some negative things. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just being very honest. So <laughs> one of the things they can do at the beginning of the day is open up their email and write the term gratitude. Do three of these because then it's sitting right in front of you all day. At the end of the day, no matter how bad the day was, fill out those three emails to three people or three things or whatever that you were grateful for. This will do two things for you. One, it's a hopeful practice because it reminds you to reflect on the positive that happened in that day. So it creates pathways in your mind to focus on the positive, which is good. And then two, it also spreads that you focus on spreading gratitude, which is a great practice on a staff. And the fact that it'll get out there, that's going to cause a ripple effect amongst your staff. So it's it's positive self-care and a hopeful practice for you, but it also spreads hope to others. Great. So we've got... Um... Sit, seek kids by other kids who have high hope. Um, do as problem speeding with uh, teachers and then do three gratitude emails. Give me one more strategy for students that we could implement today very easily. Um, I think one that's really good for all of them. So this is kind of like a whole approach oh, for administrators, go. for teachers and for students. It's, it's one for all three. So people, when we have a problem, we tend to focus on the problem and that can cause catastrophizing where the problem becomes so big, we feel like we can't tackle it. So one of the easiest hopeful practices is to one, vent about the problem, write down all the details about the problem, but give yourself a time limit of like one to two minutes. Then list all of your strengths All of my strengths, yes, every single one, as many as you can think of. Oh, I'm really good at um, TikToks. I'm really good at writing emails. I'm really good at write them all. And then this is the greatest thing. Figure out how your strength can be used for your weakness. I give this example from one of my students. So she was having problems. I teach English, but she said, I'm never going to memorize the Pythagorean theorem and all the steps. I just can't do it. And so she listed her strength. That's where the TikTok came from. And she said, I'm really good at writing. I'm great at making metaphors and hyperboles. So she listed all this stuff. Then for each one, she's like, well, I'm great at writing. Maybe I could write a song about it. I'm really good at TikTok. Maybe I could do a song and a dance. And so she created these this long list of different solutions to her problem, utilizing her strength. 
And so then what she did was she created a TikTok dance, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And then she had all of the steps that she would forget. And she put it in there and she came to me a few days later and she's like, Miss Beach, we're Miss Beach, we're, oh my gosh, I got an A. Look, you did it. And I said, no, you did it. And she's like, yeah, I did it. That practice has you break free of the constraints of what's the solution and look at, take stock of what you're awesome at because the most hopeful people, they realize you can't be good at everything, but you are good at something. And that something can help you when you're struggling. Yeah, I love that. And it's not, again, it's not about actually solving the problem. It's about creating solutions. Now, if she didn't go create that solution, that still would have been a hope creating activity, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is just so important. All right. This has been a great conversation. Is it okay if I share your uh, hope research folder that you shared um, at the AMLE conference in the show notes? Excellent. Then I will do that. That'll be great. Uh, make sure you check out the show notes at resilientschools.com for the hope research that she has, which is this big, huge Google Drive full of tons of great stuff that I would love for you to to check out. And it's really fascinating how much is out there. And um, and Kathleen has organized it in a great way. If people want to get your book, uh, The School of Hope, where do they go? Um, for the School of Hope, you can get it Amazon, Corwin, or any place books are sold. Excellent. Very good. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter at Kathleen Beach BD, or you can also email Kathleen Beachboard at gmail.com. I am available to help anyone with hope. Okay. Thank you so much. This was a great interview, and I appreciate you being part of Resilient Schools today. Thanks, Jethro. You're awesome. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.